Give me one sec. Let me switch. It. No, okay, okay, I'm gonna switch to five G. Can you hear? <laughs> wait a second. What just happened? Wait, wait, wait. wait. I was looking at Trevor. Wait, wait, wait. I can't hear you. Oh, you it says Trevor's having a problem. Oh, I was just waiting for him. Yeah, I can't hear him. Okay, oh, that was so is... funny. I was just looking at him. Yeah. Because he usually starts it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I didn't even see his mouth. Welcome, everybody, to the Faking, Faking Notes, Notes Podcast. Podcast, Podcast. So this is uh, attempt number two. <laughs> <laughs> We, we got about 10 minutes into this episode, and then there was a critical error. Critical error. We're going to try to re- remake some of that magic. Uh, before we hop into what we're going to talk about today, Trevor, how you doing, man? Feeling I'm doing good. good. It's good. We've been busy. Yeah, We've been bro. busy. What you been busy doing? Gigs. Writing yeah. music. I got like shows this week. By the Listeners, by the time you hear this, they'll already be gone. It'll be a faint memory. In a distant past, I got four performances this week, dance Whoa. shows. Because, uh, like we've talked about in the past, I've been saying no to pretty much every composition thing for the past nine to 12 months. And so I finally said yes, and it's here. So I got wow. some wow, <laughs> New York performances, got a couple other like c- commercial level gigs, super fun. Uh, and all of those involve clients which will be the subject of today dealing before with clients we, before but, we can get into it like can can you talk a little bit? i'm curious like i don't yeah. know anything about your clients i'd be spilling the tea on like john legend and like sun so, chips and Adele. yeah so like Tell some me. things obviously yeah. like are all indie up and so i can't oh, okay, ever okay. name yeah like specifics really? but i'm gonna be doing like uh man yeah, yeah. Like I'll be doing like a, a video game trailer. Oh. Which is gonna be awesome. Super fun. Can't say any more than that. And then like this one uh is, is like a dance piece. Mm-hmm. So like that's super fun. Mm-hmm. Um and like that that's more of a collaboration, uh less so client, but there's a lot of a lot of comparisons. So this is for this it's a program called Company Creates. So it's the Gibney Dance Company, uh one of like the oh. premier dance companies in New York. And so they have a concert. Where or not concert? Come on, they have a show. <laughs> they have a show. They have shows where they have their company members, the dancers, be choreographers and create things. I mean, they're all choreographers in their own right, but it's put on by the company. And so Jesse Obrimsky, who I've worked with on a piece called No Words three or four years ago, mm-hmm. he hit me up. I was sitting at the Juilliard New Dances concert. And I was, I was like, I was in that, that show when I was like, man, I miss writing music. It's been so long. I miss working with dancers. And then I checked my email at intermission and he had hit me up for this. There you go. So yeah, it's one of these like fun, like there's four lights hanging from the ceiling and they kind of get moved around and turned on at different times. So it's kind of like some like trippy underground techno thing. And all the sounds have been made from electricity. And like light bulbs. So it's like kind of like fun, bonkers, very non-Juilliard. So got a kick out of it. But things are things are going well. How are you doing in the client and life sphere? Um, I just got an email from Best Buy saying I bought something for $500. <laughs> and I definitely didn't. But it's also in my spam email. And so... uh. I might have to check. It's not saying which. 
It just popped up. It's like this. It's a Wacom Intuos Pro small graphics tablet. And no, sounds like some uh, order status. Sounds like some, I, some I bullshit. Know, man. I got to check my credit cards after this because I did not. <laughs> it's going to California and it's Drew Ford with an E at the end. So it's like, yo. Great Odin's Raven. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Anyway, sorry I got distracted there. Like I just it surprise. Just You're the proud owner of a new tablet. Like it's, it's great. Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> um. Anyway, so you know it's so funny. Like I, I recently over the past weekend, I opened up three bank accounts. Um. So mm. I could better uh, launder money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, dude. So when you're like when you're like selling drugs on the side, like I do. <laughs> You need to separate that from your sole proprietor income. It's <laughs> my weed LLC. This is my weed. This is my weed LLC. No, like I've recently, you know, been working with uh, producer Daniel, and uh, we've been taking on clients for our quartet, and those clients are paying me thousands and thousands of dollars, and I need to separate that from my own income because mm-hmm. I'm paying people lots of money to come and join me and I can't be taxed on all that stuff. So I'm trying to separate my expenses better so that I don't, you know, when the IRS is like, what's good? I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, legit, hold, up. hold up. I didn't actually earn this money. This is the money my business brought in. So yeah, man, I'm growing up and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, you don't really get to that point unless you've dealt with clients for a few years. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. You know, how do you deal with clients? How do you uh, honestly, how do you develop a resilient uh, client base that recurs, that comes back to you? Because, you know, the lifeblood of any freelancer or small business is your life depends on recurring buyers, recurring mm-hmm. clients, right? And so it starts from the jump. If you want to have people come back to you, you have to set up a good first impression. And I'm so thankful that like, you know, I went to Julia and I think this is like the the best, most practical education that I got from Juilliard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, all my teachers. Uh, <laughs> Higher Juilliard Performers was a subsect of the Alan D. Marks Center for Career and Entrepreneurship at Juilliard, and they taught us how to deal with clients. They taught us how to write contracts, how to send those contracts out, how to interface with clients, what your etiquette should be when you show up. So I want to kind of like distill some of those things uh, because they have severely in a positive way, aided me in my freelance career moving beyond school. So, um, and I also want to invite Daniel to, to hop in here too, with some of his wisdom as well, because, you know, we all have had different aspects of dealing with clients, but uh, at the very beginning, I think we should start as like, when you get that DM or when you get that email, it's like, Hey, come through. We want to hear you do some music, right? What's step one, Trevor? What, where do you, where do you start? I think a big part of it, there's a lot of like obvious stuff out there that we just kind of like forget about. I think because it's like that weird relationship with like money and it's a job, it's a gig and it's for this and numbers in numbers out and contracts. But in the end you're working with people (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you each have different goals. 
you each have different resources. Uh, and so I think one of the things that's most helpful is just to be like aware of the situation. Like, what are they actually asking for? Like, what is the level expected? Um, who's the audience? And like, what is the, what is the goal? And like, what are you, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to convey? And that's all very like high level stuff, but it helps to keep that in mind when you're going around and you're making decisions on how you're interfacing with this client. Um, Cause remember, like when you're getting the call from the client, like you're doing a service, they're coming to you because either they're going to, for your expertise, your skill, and the trust in you to do the task. Mm -hmm. Cause either they can't do it themselves or they don't have time to do it in those things. Because if not, they would just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think you what you want to do is you want to do as much as you can to establish that level of trust. Mm-hmm. More than that, that leads to more money. That leads mm-hmm. to getting the calls back. Uh, that leads to a better performance. And plus, that can make it better for you as the artist, as the musician showing up to the gig. Because... They can say, hey, we really want you to play this this song. And it could be like one of the worst sounding arrangements. Uh, it could just be an awful song or whatever that maybe doesn't fit the moment. Like it's a wedding and then they just want to hear gimme, gimme, gimme or how to solve a problem like Maria or, you know, something weird. You'd be like, hey, what about what if we played this instead? Or like, or how about you let me spice it up because this like if. They're, if they trust you, more often than not, you can get a little bit of like flexibility in what you're even being asked to do because you're the expert. You've done this a lot. Uh, timings, be like, hey, I think it'd be better if we only play for 15 minutes, take this break, do this, you'll get a better performance. Or, mm-hmm. hey, this is a wedding band. We're going to need to pay for an extra singer. They can't sing for three hours straight and it limits how much music. We need more singers to do a rotation. There's so many things that I think we'll be talking to and speaking to uh, about in this pod and beyond that we kind of understand as musicians, but you need to remember more often than not, 80% of the time, that client is not in music. Mm-hmm. And then in that other 20%, often that's because you're working for someone who's in music, who's working for someone who's outside of music. So they don't, they don't know, like we know things from 20 years. We, okay, you got to rehearse this much, but not this much. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need to Mm -hmm. do this, that you got to show up Mm -hmm. early. Is the sun out to hit? Is it going to hit my bill and like screw this all up? Like there's all these things we think about that they've never had to think about in their entire life. And so you want to get to that level of trust to where they'll understand like why you're bringing this up. Um, they'll see you as more professional, uh, and that you can make it better for both of you because that end goal, the end goal for every gig, uh, is to have a good show and to make everyone happy. Mm-hmm. They, they almost always have the same thing. Like you want to make people happy and how you go about that, uh, in all that pre-production is just as important as being there, uh, on the day. So I know that doesn't at all answer step one, Drew. So I'm going to kick that back to you. What is the oh, yeah. first thing you do? That was a great. That was a great framework, man. Because like, yeah, that's a great overview. So let's get a little granular, right? Let's go. Let's go into four steps. Like I generally think of it in step by step. The first step is always. It always starts with you, right? You get that inquiry. 
And you have to ask yourself, first of all, do you even want to do this? Right? Is this something that excites you? And if it's not a hell yes, it's a fuck no. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's you got to think. You got to think about it like that. Um, and so if it's not a hell yes, then you have to really figure out how how you're going to make it worth your time. Okay. So so step one is just is it hell yes or fuck no? You just got to ask yourself that. And then you go to step two, right? You go into the fact finding phase of of the conversation. So you say, okay, hey, great to hear from you. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. I would love to be of service, but before you know, I give you a quote, uh, I'm curious, what in as much detail can you explain what it is you want me to do? And as you get more experienced in this field, you'll know the right questions. Like Trevor said, uh, is this going to be inside or outside? How long do you want us to play? How many guests will there be? With whom should we speak when we arrive? What is the parking situation? Is it going to be valet or is there street parking? And do we have to pay for parking? Can that be compensated? Right. These are all things that you like kind of run into. And when you're experienced in gigging, if you notice the same things keep going wrong over and (laughs) over, you need to have that conversation before you even leave the house, right? Before you even agree to it. So we'll we'll kind of outline that in, in a bit. And then once you do the fact finding, then you have to go into step three of education. Because once you get the information and they're asking you for how much you're worth, then you need to kind of educate them. You know, and, and, and this isn't because they're ignorant, it's because they probably never worked with you before, especially if it's new. They may have worked with musicians before, but they've never worked with you before. And every musician has a different level of standards when it comes to working with clients. If you want to make money and if you believe that you are a valuable asset to whatever it is they are doing, you need to educate them on why you are valuable. And so that goes into like, hey, so typically my figure for a specific thing like this is this figure. Now, what's really interesting is I've learned this from Chris Voss's book, uh, never split the difference. You don't want to ever give a round number. You always want to give a an asymmetrical number like I will do this gig for $472.64. Right? <laughs> and then you kind of then, you know, in a way is like you kind of break it down. Okay, this is much is for the gas. This much is for yada, yada, yada. You can say, like, I can give you an itemized, you know, list of, of cost if, if you're interested in that. But yeah, you just, you educate them. It's like, okay, so typically we we perform, you know, we get paid $250 an hour for a performance of this nature, if it's background. If it's a featured, that's more of a premium service. So we charge 350 per hour for a featured performance. You know, yada, yada, yada. So you can actually break it down to different tiers. If you want a premium tier, if you want a mid tier, if you have a, if you're on a budget, you know, we can do this. We'll show up and play the ceremony and you could pay us 400 bucks for just showing up, do the ceremony, do the recessional. We're done. We leave. Right. So you can get really deep into this and it's just kind of depends on what the client wants, but 
once you're in the education phase, you need to give them uh, at least two different options, one being a premium option and one of a more mid-tier option. If they're on a budget, you could say, hey, we also have a budget option for you as well, um, and kind of give a figure for each of those. Okay. And then the last step is trying to find a way to align your incentives. You know, so when you're, when a client comes to you, as as Trevor said, they want you to work for them because they don't have time or they don't know how to do it themselves. So it's easy to figure out what they want. So if you asked yourself if it was a fuck yes or a, a hell yes or a fuck no in the first step, then you need to take whether or not if it was a hell yes, then you don't, your incentives are already aligned because you want to do this. If it's a fuck no, you have to do that mental math in your head to make it worth it for you. And then you offer that. So when you align your incentives, you have to know what's going to make it worth it for you. And maybe it's like, okay, this is only worth it for me if I can get this amount of money for this amount of time. Or if it's like an elaborate dinner, maybe if they feed us too, that, that would make it worth it for me, right? Then you know what to ask, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, hey, like, you know, if they've got all these cameras and they're going to be posters of social media, hey, let me make sure that I also ask that they tag us. Or, hey, can we accept tips? You know, mm-hmm. and make sure you have a tip jar there. So there, there, there are a lot of ways that you can engineer it to make sure that, you know, they're getting the service that they want. But if it's not aligned with you, you can find ways to meet in the middle and negotiate a way to make it worth it. So in short, you should have four steps once you get approached by a client. Step number one is to ask yourself, is this a hell yes or a fuck no? Number two is to uh, fact find, get as specific as possible to figure out what the client wants, what they're asking for. Number three, educate them on the different ways that you can be of service to them. And number four is to align your incentives. If it's a hell yes at the very beginning, then you don't have to really do much here because you really want to do it. But if it's a fuck no, then you have to find a way for the, to make this a win-win between you and your client. And you can do that through the fact-finding and education. These are a great couple steps. And then I want to hear from Daniel, but just to go through each of them, the hell yes, fuck no is different for everyone mm-hmm. at whatever stage of their career with their mm-hmm. own incentives. So there's 4 million posts about I'll always do stuff for money, never do the free gig. And then there's 4 million of do the free thing. And then there's the maybes. And then like every other week, you'll read a new article about which way you shouldn't do that. But those articles are never about you and your particular situation. Maybe you are doing something new in a new field and you actually need that experience. Maybe something has such an exposure level where it's very much worth it because you'll make it back in other ways. Or maybe they're ripping you off and you shouldn't do this thing. It all depends on your situation. But the easiest way to know is to trust that gut. (laughs) So if you're sitting there and you're feeling icky and this client doesn't know what they're talking about and they're like throwing out things you know they can't deliver on or my you know this film or this play is the best thing ever and like it's going to change the world like no no, if you're starting to get those kind of weird feelings um i would really trust the gut 
with all of the deciding factors, please check out our other series where we talk about like value, money, and marketing. Uh, we've also had a couple other things talking about the business side uh, of music over the past couple of years. But one of the things I, I do like to think about is that weighing the options, you know, value, time, and money. Uh, and it needs to check off multiple boxes or have the appropriate amount of distribution. If I don't want to do it, but it pays me a ton and that would money would allow me to do other things, suddenly that fits the equation. If this thing is so valuable or going to give it's going to give me so much fulfillment that I can use it later on down the road or I'll build a new skill along the way that I can use it to make something for me down the road, then that could be a hell yes without even any payment. Uh, it all depends on your situation, but I really would trust the gut. I, if you're stuck even in the middle, that doesn't fit hell yes or fuck no. That's just stuck in the middle. Think about it. Put in thought. Make sure that's the hell yes because you will regret it. We've all had gigs where we were teetering about it and we did it and we regretted everything. We're miserable the whole way and then you build resentment for your client and that ruins the rest of the steps because suddenly – you might be showing up like, like it's it's hard to overcome that natural instinct of when you feel like it's just not not worth it. Um, so number two, fact find. Yes, like we have technology these days. You can make this easier for for your clients, uh, a Google form or something of some sorts. Like how you get that information uh, can be expedited. It's not perfect, but finding out as much as you can is the smart, smart move. Education. Dang, that's really great. Yeah. I, ne I yeah. never even thought about that. For all those, like, because that's what, at least that's like a concertized thing we're trying like to experiment is like so much energy is wasted on fact finding information that everyone needs to know. Mm -hmm. Like, well, if we're, if, if everyone's at, just like, if you're asking the same questions of the client, like they're probably always getting asked that and they themselves don't have it all written down. So they got to go check with the audio guy. How many mics do we have? I never thought about that. They got to go count the, the bathroom stalls or whatever, or how to get permits. And so there's all this information that goes into performing that it's kind of hard to keep track of. Mm. We haven't figured out the solve, but uh, the fact finding important. One of the most important things that I keep, I keep bumping into is what is the true deadline? So in film, they, they, they always seem to mention their deadline. It's like, when is this due? Like, when do you need this music? Buy? And they keep mentioning, oh, well, we're submitting a video to the client on this day. Like, that's the deadline. But that's not true. They need your music before that because they're going to edit and do other stuff. So like uh, something I keep having to relearn and watch out is like, what when are the actual deadlines? You find out the end date, you work backwards, and then account for some extra. Because they're if if you're able to make their lives easier, they're gonna keep calling you. If you're not getting them stuff late, which then could make them late, which then makes them look bad, it messes up with the incentives. Education probably the most important one because these clients more often than not do not understand what goes into it. I've I've had some experiences where I've gone like too granular, and then they start using their calculator to like nickel and dime on their side like i was like okay i'm you know for this part making thing there's this many measures with this many instruments and i do that at point zero zero here but there's like it was too complex and i think it was like overwhelming for them but when you just go to them with that blanket number again round like maybe i don't wouldn't necessarily do the cent but maybe it's not 2500 it's 2650 like so it seems like there's some logic 
I then do give some type of breakdown. And this is something we learn from productions. So in music, it's like, ah, musician gets all these cuts. You save some for the admin side. That's it. Hooray. You know, simple. But if you look at a production sheet when they're doing video, like those are pretty intense. When you're doing a film and you have to do tax incentives, like then, then, you know, they're counting uh, the M- individual M&Ms. But in general, a production's never like, we just want 50,000 for this thing. It's there are 30 hours of post-production. There's 30 hours of pre-production. The colorist is this, the, this is the, and so they can get a sense of why things cost so much money mm-hmm. and how much time. So even just a little breakdown uh, helps make it make sense to the client because often they can tell their boss, yeah, 50,000 is a lot for this like tiny little internal non-commercial thing, but it makes sense for what it's for. And then step four, the most essential thing that we opened up for is the alignment of incentives. Like Drew said, if it's fuck no, you're not aligned. Uh, If it's a hell yes, you're trying to win. There's that weird thing where we kind of become like either resentful or competitive with our clients. It's just odd, natural thing. Like if we're not getting paid enough or it's been annoying or resenting them, that doesn't help. That doesn't lead to a good performance. You, you need to understand what they're doing. Like if they're putting on the show, they need to look good. If they're working for some other production company providing the music, the better you do, the better the music manager does. If there's an, you know, and it's a, it's an ad or something, Like you showing up prepared reflects well for the person, your agent or something. And so you're aligning these incentives because what will they do? They'll take more care of you too. They'll call you next time. And you're, you're trying to win whatever it is that contract is that show whatever creative project you're working on. It's like thinking about what they're looking for, thinking about what you're looking for. And you, you are trying to accomplish something uh, together. It's just making sure you know what exactly that is. So I think it's a great four steps. Um, are there any particular stories that jump out <laughs> of things oh, going wrong? I, I got I got stories. But before we hop into some stories, I think that like the next step, once you've had this conversation, you have to get everything in writing. And mm-hmm. um, how so let's say you have a call with the client, Trevor, like what is your first step after that call? After the call? So here's a new strategy. Um, that I I was just looking up and researching for this specific pod. There's a few just concrete strategies to do that I think will help out. One is in communication, I try to be direct. Uh, because these aren't musicians, I try to avoid jargon, being too jargony. But also, I try to think of each email as having one purpose. If an email has multiple purposes, then it needs to be separate emails. And so I do that in very clear titling. If mm-hmm. a thread is too long, I like to start Sorry, new no. threads um, with the, the, the appropriate title. Why? We all have emailed these clients or as a client hiring someone where we ask six questions, and they just don't answer one. And they, you need the answer to that one. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you need that answer. And it, it's just, it's too much in that email if people aren't on top of it. Like you can go back and back and back at them to try to like get that. And it just kind of gets lost in the weeds or you're busy, Drew. You're in a gig, you're in a recording session, you get an important email and it asks you 10 things. Do you have time to answer those 10 things? No. No. And then you start thinking about it 
And it's just like, oh God, I got to answer that email. But it's so much. I got to go home and sit down and like type it up. I can't be mm-hmm. texting out this, typing this on my, and then, exactly. and then you just, it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like, cause that's natural. Email is a great tracker of what you do. It's a great archive to keep track of progress of responses. It's very searchable, but it's not that effective, effective at communication because of how big it can get. So mm-hmm. the more I've tried to like turn email into like enhanced texting, mm-hmm. uh, I think the better it served. The, the second little strategy is after these fact-finding missions or education or important meetings with the client, particularly those who you don't have, you know, like it's, it's the first time you're it. working on yeah. yeah, this type of thing. And definitely it's the first time working with them in general is after a meeting, you know, I'm taking, you're taking notes. Mm-hmm. I then regurgitate my notes back to them. Mm-hmm. I say, here's either a recap or here's what I took away from this. Does that look good? I like seek approval on what they said. You told me these are the deadlines, this, you're looking for this type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll, you'll get back to me uh, at this time about this time. And then I just mm-hmm. send them back to them. Mm-hmm. And then they, they give the thumbs up on that. You're good, good to go. go. Write the contract. Write the, contract. Write the contract. I think that's super important because like when you speak on the phone, which is very important, there's no record of that. So what you need to do now that you're in business, now that you're a boss, if you're listening to Faking Those Podcasts right now, you're a boss. You're either a boss right now or you're a boss in the near future. You know, time is just a construct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm saying is like, look. When you are a boss and you are handling business, you need everything in writing because look, it's not even just because people are unreliable. Every human has a goldfish memory, especially now with like so much like the modern day, like our attention spans and memories are getting worse. So it's just better to immediately make sure you have an established written agreement of what was said on the phone. That way, let's just say you don't have time to write the contract right now. You can have that little record in the email that is in a place where you both can agree that you can refer back to when you write the contract. So uh, there's actually something, Daniel, you had something (laughs) interesting to share uh, about contracts and dealing with clients too. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, it's very simple for me. You know, okay. when dealing with clients, what I do is I just, I make them an offer they can't refuse. Come to me, I come to them on the day of their daughter's wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, no. Uh, but in all seriousness. Uh, so, I mean, I haven't had a lot of experience working with clients, but uh, I have a lot of experience just witnessing these kinds of things. And I would say the main thing for me um, that I notice is, and it's very important, really aligns with what uh, Trevor and Drew have been talking about, is to not assume that the person you're working with knows what you need and expect and want. And I have a really funny story about that. Yeah, so tell it, tell I, it. I was... You know, I played a, a wedding gig with a couple friends of mine. Andrew Kwan was one of them. Shout out. Shout out. Shout, Shout out, Andrew Kwan. And um, it was funny. So it was like in this big mansion, like in Beverly Hills. It was, you know, it was like for <laughs> some uh, 
the bride was like a, a writer, like a film writer or something like that. So it was like a really nice wedding. And we were contract contracted through a company. So the company was talking to, you know, the clients and all that stuff. But as soon as we got there, you know, like when I got there, I assumed that we would just be playing in a typical, just like off to the side, you know, with the string quartet, which is like a semicircle. But I'm, I'm assuming that wasn't uh, uh, communicated clearly to the client and the client had no idea how a string quartet was supposed to, was supposed to sit. So I go there and I end up finding out that like we had to play literally, I kid you not inside of a fountain, <laughs> not, not next to a fountain, literally inside. And on top of that, we were all facing away from each other. Uh, yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like a first, you know, I played next to a lot of fountains, but I've never played inside one. <laughs> But like we were literally, our backs were turned against each other and it was this huge fountain. So I couldn't even see the person who was directly behind me, mm-hmm. who was, I believe, the second violinist. But if it was the first violinist, then that would just would have been a disaster, you know? And mm-hmm. like we got through it. Uh, actually, Terrence Howard was there, by the way. Shout out Terrence Damn. Howard. Come on the podcast. Beautiful I man. loved you and I loved you in Hustle and Flow, you know? <laughs> Should have kept going uh, as a uh, roadie in uh, Iron Man, but whatever, different story, different conversation. But, um, but I think like the main thing was, is that uh, the, the wedding planner had no idea what we needed, you know, what we wanted. She probably didn't know any of that. And I think what happened was the, co- the company that contracted us assumed that the planner knew. Mm. And so it can create a lot of problems if you're not clear about what you need, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I've, I've gotten calls and I find out like a day before that the gig is outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and with string instruments, they don't know that like, it's bad for, um, especially in like a dry place like California, that it's not good to be playing outdoors, but they don't know that. So even though you know that, you can't assume that they know that. Mm-hmm. So you have to make that clear. Even if it comes off as, you know, petty or quote unquote common sense mm-hmm. to you, it's not common sense to them. Mm-hmm. And so you got to make that clear. It's it's perfect because like so much of what we do, if you, if you notice this faking fam, and I know you have because you're smart, marketing is education. Your portfolio is education. You talking to the audience education talking to clients educa- like everything in life is freaking education which is good for us because we spend so much time thinking about teaching in the music field going through as a musician is education so you have this idea of education you've been teaching you've been taught to you think about how to learn you need to pretty much use that in all aspects don't turn the brain off when talking to a client it's it's just like with uh, speaking with Angela Beeching or, or Aubrey Bergauer or all these other people where um, you yourself are creative and you're an educator and you're a teacher. And don't let that side of the brain turn off once you leave the music sphere. It's going to be very valuable to you in the business sphere for these exact things. I bet now, from now on, Daniel, you're like, I got to find out if the sucker's outside and like, I need to, yeah. I need to let them know we're going to be facing each other. Cause yeah. that's something that will inevitably always crop up. 
So exactly. I, I think as someone who's now like hired people for the wedding, a big part was finding the contractors I trusted. I liked the DJ uh, uh, a lot because I could tell that he had done this a lot and that he was a wedding DJ who does weddings. He doesn't do other types of gigs. So he knew he's like, okay, so in these types of weddings, you do this, this, this. He's like, okay, that's a unique request. Maybe don't do that because of this. He would educate us, hey, 30 minute dance floors are, are kind of, they're lost in the middle. You need either like 60 minutes to have a natural arc, you know, 90 minutes is the best, but 20 minutes is fine because you can go, you can hit out, you know, four or five bangers in a row. You hit the highlight reel, like you don't have to build them up and then you can leave. And so when something goes, not wrong at the wedding, but you know, you're running behind, something else took longer. Like you want someone who's experienced, knowledgeable enough to explain to you why I think we should pivot to this because of X. And so by trusting them, I don't have to worry about it. They've done this enough. By trusting the photographer to angle you in the correct way when the sun is coming in, it's everything. You want to be trustworthy. It sounds like that wedding planner, the wedding planner should know all of this. Maybe oh, they're unexperienced. Yeah. They should act like this is the, that is their job. Our wedding planner was phenomenal because we trust her. She knew everything about everything. She was just always on top of it. Yeah. And like that's why you pay them the big bucks and then you give them the big tip. It's because they're in charge of it. That goes a lot with like the aligning the goals. It, it's important for us to do this education too because they, they just don't know. They don't have music degrees. That's why they can afford to pay you. That's real talk. That's real talk. But um, I, don't even, I don't even know where I was going. <laughs> no, it's true. No, that, that hit so hard. I was like, damn. That's real. That's real. You know, actually, actually, yeah. I remember the original wedding planner for that wedding I just talked about. Uh, I think it was a he or she. I can't remember. They flicked out the day before. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a hard show. Yeah, that. Imagine that. Imagine Trevor, if your planner literally flaked on you the day before the wedding. <laughs> it's 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 a that's a worst case D Day scenario. That's yeah. Crazy. That's it, but I mean, it was it was during the Omicron surge as well. Okay. So maybe he caught COVID or he or she. Uh, I, don't a, know. I don't know what happened, but still, Drew. Drew, do you have any crazy like? Crazy or crazy good, crazy bad contracting? Um, yeah, I just wanted to maybe before I get into that, I just wanted to say, you know, uh, if you don't know how to write a contract, that's okay. There's samples online. And as you do gigs, you'll find things that go wrong that you're like, man, I should have put that in the contract. Always mm -hmm. just put it in. Put it's it in. Like, put in the put special, in. the special items you know, put a special items section and put all those things in there. It's like, okay, if it's outside, we need some sort of tent or covering in the shade. If you want us to play with a piano, you got to provide the piano. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> or it like, put us towards an outlet and rent an electric, view, uh, an electric piano for us. You know, things like that. The one thing that I will say is like, you need to establish your boundaries too. Mm. And, and it was like what you were saying, Trevor, is like when you are somewhere in the middle between a hell yes and a fuck no, that's not a bad place to be. That just means you got to like, you know, align your intentions a little better and be like, yo, yeah, actually, you know, this pay is bad. Let me ask for more. 
and then it'll be a hell yes, right? So ask for that money and have boundaries. Have a number in your head that you will not perform for. And if they go and hit that number, walk away. Be willing Mm. to walk away. It's powerful. And it leads to my story. So I literally got like a, I did it two days ago. I did a video shoot for an R&B artist. I got a text from my boy, Jeremy Green. Um, he doesn't listen to this podcast, so it's fine. I, I, I can just, <laughs> but, but like, uh, he hit me and was like, yo, video shoot for X amount of dollars. And I said, yo, man, thanks for hitting me up, but let me stop you there. I, I usually wouldn't say this. I would usually just give a hard no, but like, I love you and I think you're dope. And like, I just want to be real with you. This is not enough for what they're asking for. So I would like to do this, but I cannot do it for less than this figure. Reach out to them and give them this figure, which is higher than what I was going to do. And just say, we can't do it, but we can't do it for less than this. Because I think part of it, every client you deal with is really important because you are setting the market. If you are doing gigs for less than the market value, you're not only, there are people out there that just want to do the gig. They just want to look busy, but they're fucking all of us Mm -hmm. because they are doing the work for too little money. And then the client then begins to feel that that is what the market is. So look, inflation is going up. Gas prices are going up. You do not, if you want to be an artist that can support themselves, you better start charging more money. And so I was like, look, maybe they don't even know what it's what it costs to have somebody show up for a video shoot, especially somebody like us, Jeremy. So like, this is what we should ask for. And they asked, and he and he asked them. It's like, hey, this is what I, I want. And the person, the client, was like, oh, we are like stretched thin. We're already going over budget as it is. We can't do that. And I said, okay, well, thank you. No, thank you. Walked away. I'm walking to Johan Lennox's album <clears throat> release show like three days later, and I get a text from Jeremy as I'm going through the door. He's like, actually, they said they can do it. <laughs> They can, they can oh, do it we found that it. Oh. It's so funny. They're like, we absolutely cannot do that. And I was like, okay, cool. And we, and we walked away, right? But then they came back and they were willing to pay because at the end of the day, they still needed us. They realized that we were indispensable. And if they really want you there, they'll, they'll, they'll find a way to, to do that fee. Or they'll find somebody who's less qualified than you. Maybe a high schooler, maybe like some kid out of college, right? They need gigs too. So you have to establish your boundaries and be willing to walk away. And if you are, you may just get what you're worth, right? But you have to, it always goes back to hell yes or fuck no. That ask for me was a fuck no. And I found a way to make it a hell yes. And it found its way. And there's so many, yeah, first off, round of applause. (laughs) Hi, Shiloh. <laughs> yeah, so we got a little visitor. So, Shiloh, what do you think? What do you think about you know contracting and uh, no, you just want you want treats, okay? Uh, but uh, <laughs> he just loses it. But uh, no, there's so many key points, and you can make things a hell yes, and it's by aligning those incentives. It's by doing 
the adjusting. And so something we talked about a year ago that I put into practice was for this giant film project. I liked the film. I wanted to do a feature of my own. It's just a lot of music and it was going to be stressful to do all that. So I, I still asked for a fair amount. It wasn't a, a lowball situation. It, I still thought it was fair enough. So it at least kind of met that mark. But what I asked for was like, hey, I want to also be compensated in time. So I was like, this, this deadline doesn't work. If you want me to do this, it will both benefit me, the flexibility to take other gigs during this time. Instead of you getting in a month, I'm gonna, I can get it to you in three months. But it'll be cheaper, but also you'll get a better product. I'll spend more time with this. You will have a better film score if you allow me to do this. So it was an incentive alignment. They're like, wait, we can push a little bit and give you that extra time. We want to work with you. It is the top of their budget, but we can give you more time to do this. And sure enough, I did another film gig in the middle of that that paid almost as much. <laughs> and so it, was, so it wound up being a great decision. Um, I like the idea of being able to walk away. You know, if you're starting out or you're in a tough situation, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta eat, but whenever you can establishing that boundary will really help you because we all know you got something on the calendar, you got some meeting or you got some event, even if you kind of want to go, you're like, hi, I got to drive. It's going to cost me $8 a gallon of gas. And like, you know, but it'd be fun. And then they cancel on you. And you just, you orgasm because you were just, you were given three hours of time. And suddenly like, while that, you know, you're, you, I don't have to get in the car. I don't have to like put on my happy face and network. Like I got time now. And those three hours are the most productive, happiest of your life. And it's only because the time felt given back to you. And I feel a similar sensation when I pass on a gig. Hell yeah, bro. It, it feels it's great. It's a little bit of a high, bro. It's yeah. like, I'm powerful, man. Yeah, it's like I said no and I stuck to it. But the the uh, one of the key things, and I love that you did and approached it how you did, Drew, was that when they're like, hey, it's for this. Even if they didn't call you back, um, I'm going to say no, but you're still educating. It's like, hey, for what you're asking, I think you should be charging this much for this type of person. It's also just not not for me. So you're letting them know not in a like, hey, you're some lowballing asshole. Like you should feel terrible about what you're doing. <laughs> you they could may, go that way. But. They, may, they, they may not have the budget. Like sometimes yeah. there's the reality. Someone's paying for it. We are at the end of the rope. A lot of these filmmakers, they, just, they are literally out of money. Like they're paying it out of there. And it's like, well, okay, like then maybe I'm not the right person. I think you should try to pay whoever that person is up to this point. Because you're also doing another thing besides like setting your value is that you're associating that price with them in their head. So if I called up someone who I think works amazing and they're like, hey, I need a thousand bucks for this arrangement. I'd be like, the client, we, we do not have the funds for a thousand I do know a lot of great people who do a great job. Sorry. Like, I understand. Like, thank you for letting me know. Instead of just saying no, you let me know why. That's very helpful. Also, it's a psychological trick. In my mind, that person is the $1,000 arranger. If there's ever a time I hit that budget, I might call that person back mm -hmm. up. And I'm viewing them that way. If I'm the free composer, I'm getting viewed as the free composer. And I've just seen that play out directly. 
uh, with with many people who I've done the cheap way, way under rate because I like liked it. And then I don't get the calls when they go on to the bigger project. But when I've started high, they've met me when the project meets my income level. I think exactly. that's like a key thing. Exactly. The last thing I'll add to this is like, as you do work though, you need to keep raising your price because you're getting better. You're getting experience. Do not be afraid when a client comes back to you with last time your fee was this, you'd be like, well, since we've worked together, you know, I've, I've worked with this client and this client and my fees with them were this and this, like when it comes to like influencer marketing stuff now, like after I did Sunships, bro, like I ain't doing look, I'm educating people super <laughs> yeah. hard right now. They're, asking, they're like, we'll give you free product. I'm like, look, look, I got free product and five figures from yeah. Sunship. So what you going to do? Yeah. What are you right? going to do? Oh, you, you're not looking for that. Well, you're not looking for me. You're looking for somebody else. And that is super key. If you want to be a boss, you got to like legitimately let people know, man. Cause they don't know if you don't tell them it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> It's crazy. So keep keep increasing your prices as you get better. And it's true because sometimes they won't have that other budget. But other times, if they like working with you, they're going to go to their higher ups and say, hey, if you like this product we're providing, we want to compensate these performers more or this for this recording more. Um, another little quick strategy. We talked about it again about a, a year or a year or two ago um, for these film things when you're – or for any project. Let them know what they're getting their money for, and particularly when you're giving tiers. And the thing I found, I, I always, I typically do three. I've never had someone select tier one or tier three. Like no one wants to feel cheap, but they also don't want to like splurge on like the highest price thing. So I always make tier two what I really want to do. I could be comfortable with the either tiers, but tier two, the the dream tier, not the like insane tier or whatever. Uh, is is actually what I want to do, and then I lay it lay down the difference between them, of course, and the a kind of a budget breakdown where, hey, this film score, or this project, this piece will still be great at any of these tiers. It's gonna feel amazing, but there are some subtle differences. You're gonna get real instruments instead of MIDI instruments, but hey, you know maybe I'd recommend against the most expensive tier because if we record a full piece band, suddenly it's more expensive for me to piece all that together and to write out parts. And so like a film project did, uh, had uh, Jeremy Jones play, play a little and sing on because it was a bundled package. And it was just like, okay, like I want to, you know, real singers in here. I want to record, but like, we don't have a huge budget. If I brought in a full band, it would take me twice as long to manage that. And I don't, you know, I think it would give us an extra 2%. Is 2% better quality or not better quality, but 2% shinier worth it to double the budget? Maybe not. Probably not. Or and maybe, so, maybe this yeah. is their magnum opus. Their heart is in it. They want to get, they're, they're trying to pitch to Steven Spielberg. You know what I mean? So like they need to invest, right? And they need to know. And so you're just simply laying out like, oh, this mm -hmm. costs this much because, but also tier three involve more time. So it's a much bigger budget. It's a much bigger time. We can't execute it. So we went with tier two and we're super yeah. happy. Uh, and I was happy seeing the most practical. So just like laying it out and through that education and to build that trust, a lot of things 
I think really come down to honesty. And now this is where, if we want to, we can kind of shift in towards now that we hire people. I've been doing a lot of hiring <laughs> recently and like being on the other end or being the intermediary. And I think a big part of that is like trust and honesty, which is missing almost across the board in the current industry. Being like, hey, we get X amount of dollars from this person. We're distributing it this way. Um, you know, this is the rate because of this. It's fair or whatever. Or we think this is fair or this is all we're working with. We can increase this or, hey, we think we can shift things around. Like there's this weird money thing in America throughout all industries where when it comes to salary and who's making what. Aubrey Berger, we, I, we just shared something uh, of hers today. She was talking about some of the offers she was getting after the California Symphony, getting calls from bigger orchestras with bigger budgets and offering like way less. And their excuse would be like, oh, it's just, it's the market rate for this area. Uh, and it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> and she'd find out later on that they went out and hired some old white guy for the price she asked for. I'd bet a lot of, no. I bet her whole salary that she was yeah. better than, than yeah. what, whoever they hired. And so there's this yeah. weird thing, but she didn't take those jobs. She knew her worth and now mm. look at it. She's, she's, she's crushing it. Um, Can I touch on something yeah. really quickly? So like you said the three different tiers, right? If you don't mm -hmm. understand what we're talking about with like a premium a standard and then a budget option for each of your clients, go to Upwork or Fiverr and pretend like you're going to hire somebody and look at the different ways. Don't look at the prices, right? But just look at how they break down and the different incentives they put towards their premium products versus their regular products versus their budget products. Right. And you know, there's one dimension that is like really underestimated is like quick turnover, like mm -hmm. how quickly you can turn over a product that's actually worth more money because you're getting paid for your efficiency. Right. So if you have a client that wants you to put together a quartet in like two weeks, they need to pay you <laughs> to get everybody together faster. That needs to be reflected in your price too. And you can reflect that in the breakdown for each of your figures. So just look at that and that will really give you a lot of ideas on how you how you can kind of itemize your each of your figures too. In different ways you can provide services. Something that just came to mind, and this goes back to way yeah. back in, in Angela Beaching's coaching. She was talking about, she's like, project management is stress management. That's actually what it is. Is When you're tackling some project or you've got some big performance coming up, a great way to tackle it is to manage your stress levels. I will be very stressed if I put this together quickly. <laughs> I will be stressed if this isn't prepared. I, I get more tired in the afternoon, so I need to put this in the morning. Like You're, you're managing your, your mood and your energy in order to deliver a better performance or a better product. And so to some degree... When it comes to budgeting and working with clients, it's also stress management. If you know this is going to be really hard to do, a tight turnaround, you're already busy now, you already got something else on the books, it goes into that equation, that value, time, money, or stress, or whatever. Uh, if I'm already really busy now, I really need to make it worth it so that it won't either you know, make other gigs suffer, which is a very big, important calculation, or it's, 
you get in that tough situation where it's just like, this is so worth it for me to, you know, neglect friends for a week, or this is so important that like, it really has to outweigh the downsides because you will bump into those situations. It's not all rosy green. Um, sometimes other things will suffer and you got to be ready to understand those, those consequences. Mm -hmm. And a big part of that is that tight turnaround. So when we get a call about, for instance, concertized stuff, when there's a wedding or some big project, feels great. We've been saying no to a lot of stuff. It really has to be worth it. We're saying we provide this, we, we have access to this tier of musicians. You need to meet that tier. Mm -hmm. We will not, we do not send around students to anything. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of value in students playing these gigs. There's plenty of value in them gaining that experience. That is just not what we do. It's not worth our time or our performance time. We, we try not to ask them to not mention if their rate is kind of insulting. We, you know, we do what we can, but we, it's just not for us. Someone else, like Drew, what you do with the music video, someone else can provide that. Um, that's just not where we're at, at at this stage. And so we'll get these kind of absurd requests and we try to educate them. If you want to put on this, this show, this ballet, you know, an hour outside this major city, they need to rehearse a bunch. This is a smaller ensemble, so all that music needs to be arranged. Mm -hmm. uh, you need a great pianist who can maybe do this and we could do it cheaper and we provide the tiers and if they don't meet it, you walk away. But the big, biggest factor was like, hey, we barely have enough time to even negotiate on and educate. We don't even have the time to educate and mm -hmm. your budget is, is just not going to be there. Yeah. So it was going to be so way true. too stressful. There was way too much chance for it to go wrong and then that messes with the reputation. And so it wasn't worth the stress. It, it just we we for, we kind of saw the red flags. It became a fuck no, pretty quickly. Get that garbage out of here. Get that garbage, that garbage out, of here. out of here. I was just thinking like that's what you're probably thinking in your head, but yeah. on the outside you're just like, oh well, um, you see there, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. be like, hey, you do know they have to have music to play, and um, none of these were written for for any of these groups. So. Wait, you mean they don't know it by heart and by ear yeah. and playing it together? Like what? an hour long of of all these obscure things? Like they're no, just gonna improvise no. it, right? Yeah, yeah. The last thing that I wanted to to shed a light on is like I said this. I don't know if this was in version one, or version two of the intro, but the lifeblood of your business as a freelancer and as a solo entrepreneur is retaining your clients and having mm -hmm. them come back to you for more work in the future. And I think that what your goal. Is I think the best way to start getting a retention, like retaining your clients, is to over deliver, give them a little bit more than what they were expecting. You know, when you're aligning your incentives, it's 50 50. It's a win win. They give you 50, you give, you give 50. Well, why don't you give so much that you get 51% and they get 40 and they give 49? So there's like that little bit of asymmetrical value being exchanged and they feel like, wow, man. I really got more out of that than I ever expected. And then when they come back to you and it's been a minute and you've gotten even better and you charge more money, they won't even bat an eye because they know they're getting their money's worth working with you. So the other thing that I would say is that's actually very underestimated was like, but was given to me as an undergrad as a little piece of advice is to write a letter, write a letter to your client thanking them because it's something that not a lot of people do. 
it takes time. You have to go find the postcard or go find that, you know, that card in, in, in Walgreens or Hallmark store. You have to grab a pen. You have to sit down, think about what you want to say, write it down, seal it, mail it, or hand it to them. And all of those different steps, you're thinking about that person. You're thinking about that client. And it really shows. Like if the more thoughtful you can be with it, the the better of an impression it'll leave. And like, look, like we're in a business of relationships. If you make people feel like they're valued and they're loved and you put time and effort into what you do, they're going to come back. So that's kind of what I have for retaining clients. What do you have, Trevor? Uh, that's beautiful. I think it it all kind of boils back to the relationship and that you are dealing with people. There's this weird contractual thing, particularly in corporate life. It somehow gets very de- dehumanizing very quickly. You steal other people's work. The, you know, some boss, you're, you're working hard for them and you're, you put up together this presentation and you're like, hey, you can send this and you that boss is going to go pitch it to the higher ups. They're going to go pitch it to the board. And you think you're going to be going out and providing research you know, doing your job, providing research, and then the boss is going to take it, assess it, tweak it, do what they think is best to send it up. But then your boss runs in there and just literally switched out the name on the PowerPoint, makes no mention of you or the team, pre- presents it as their own work to these board of trustees. You will lose your shit. This is a real world example from uh, someone's Twitter or Instagram. Uh, but oh, that, wow. this person wound up, they secretly watermarked all their work. They were pissed that their bosses. We're making no mention, no no promotion, no support of who else was doing things. Um, and while it's weirder in the corporate world, like certain things need to be under wraps, but still, that's forgetting like there's humans involved. That's looking out for numero uno, not thinking of the other people. So I try to look for people and hire people who look out for others. Um, I might know some people who are the best at some things. But if they're either not the if they're not the best person, or if the, I know they themselves don't really look out for others, I don't hire them. That's not an alignment of my incentives. Uh, at least as a boss, I try to be really fair and understanding because I want people to be that of me. So if someone misses a deadline, you know we want to over deliver, we want to keep up the promises, like we want you know mistake free, but like that you know not it's not always going to be the reality. Sometimes we're in a tough place. Sometimes we're running behind. There are obvious exceptions where it's like this deadline is like, this is very important. But I try to just remind myself that we're dealing with humans, things happen, your dog gets sick, their car breaks down, they're miserable at their day job. And so it makes it harder to work something else. And so just by like understanding and remembering that they're humans helps things out. So I do give second chances, like maybe that arrangement or that performance wasn't the best. But if we've established that trust, I'll call them back again. I'm not, I'm not afraid to. Exactly. If it keeps happening, it's probably not going to happen. But um, just remembering that the people you're working with are human. They'll make mistakes. They'll have bad days. They'll have great days. Mm-hmm. You might not be the most important thing in their lives at that time. You can't always know um, what's happening in there. But you can at least do what you can to make it easier and be part of the relationship. So to some degree, in certain instances, you being more forgiving or more flexible, or you taking on the burden of, oh God, now I got to go tell my boss, you know, <laughs> they're working for me. Like you taking on that burden is that extra 51%. Uh, 
you you being flexible is giving that that little bit extra time. So that's just something to piggyback off uh, on the realities of dealing and being 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 a boss and being the the client. So hell yeah, brother. Well, honestly, I think we I think we hit everything. Uh, one last thing. Let's one last it. thing. That's let's, let's good. I mean, we've talked about so many great things, you know, like dealing with clients, trust, communication, mm-hmm. education, but you also got to practice too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Get up there don't, practice. Be, yeah. don't be faking it on the day. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do you think it will look if, you know, you've built this rapport, you built the trust with this client, they're happy. And then on the day, you can't even play Eine Kleine Nach music. You know what I mean? But even like on top of that, with, you know, any gigs that you do where it involves clients, let's say you're playing, you know, Eine Kleine, which is, or like Paco Bell Cannon, which is a piece that, you know, played a million times, you know, like I still can't play the cello part. No, I'm kidding. But, um, (laughs) But a piece like that, where you've played a million times, you still got to make it sound sincere, like you're not disinterested. You know, it's like, play that Paco Bell canon mm-hmm. like no one is listening, because no one is listening. At yeah. The- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you know what I mean, though? Like, like, it's about being trustworthy up until the day, and then on the day, still keeping that trust, being sincere. Even if you're playing a piece that you've played a million times, play it like it's your first time. Because mm. it's the first time the audience has probably heard it. Exactly. Like it's their first introduction to you. So. Exactly. And then and then it doesn't make you look like you're disinterested or like not in it. And, you know, then the clients will notice that. I think that's a pretty obvious thing. You know, if they see you like fucking up, like in all these pieces, they're going to notice that. And then play they're like going to be every- like... Play like everybody's a client in the audience because I can't even tell you how many times, you know, I've done weddings, especially in New York, where people are like, where's your card? Daniel, great example. When we do the candlelight shows, how many of them are like, oh, do you do weddings? Like, you know, all the time. All the time. time. So this is how you build new clients. Like if you do such a great job at your job. Other people are going to talk. It's not even just the client, but people who are there to witness are also going to talk. Yes. Okay? And if it's bad, they're also going to talk. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. I didn't even. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep it super brief because like, that's a great point. Like is in the end, in, at the end of the day, you're providing a service. Like you got You need to deliver that service and you're getting paid to like play great music. You better, better play great. Um, but definitely on the people talk. I think that's a big part of like reminding yourself that these are people. If you're out there underpaying people or if you're out there being a real piece of shit, people are going to find out like we all talk. Like it's this weird fantasy thing to where like, you know, someone lower down will be just chatting, chatting, talking shit. Oh, I hate this person. And then they they become the boss and then they forget that like, there's always going to be talk. You know, there's always, there's always going to be that. So like you gotta, gotta one, Watch out what you're complaining about. <laughs> but two, like remember that, like, oh, I'm the boss now. Like everyone loves me. Like they're all satisfied with like the rates or whatever. I can, you know, buy a Lambo or whatever. Like, no, 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 no. Like they're all gonna talk to each other. They're gonna talk to this group, find out how much they are making, and then they're gonna talk to this one. And that can go south. Like you can go around there and you can you can get in a uh, real trouble. And then next thing you know, 
musicians aren't happy. They're not doing their best. They're talking. And then they're running your show later. It freaking happens. Um, and so the, oh the, yeah, the, the like practical client boss thing, when it comes to setting prices on the other end, you want your prices to be that if it was all public, if it was on the blockchain. If I, I want all my actions that if it was all getting filmed and like it was all out there, would I be proud and like not feel like shit or be like, wow. And I think a lot of people would be surprised that it's not run that way. <laughs> that like they'd feel ashamed. Oh, I'm paying my, you know, my intern this or whatever. Because uh, regardless of whatever the price is, because budgets are different, circumstances are different. That's what we've been talking about this whole time. All those extras behind the camera, you can't afford them. You know, like they're there, they're free or whatever, but we understand the situation. You can't get the best extras who need to get paid. You need something, whatever the scenario is. It's like, if if I had to go show people the bank balance, show the numbers, would I feel confident that like, yeah, no, this is totally fair. We're putting an X amount of hours over here to coordinate this. They're putting an X amount of hours here. This, 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 this. If it was all public, would I be proud? Is it justified? And that's something that I think weighs in the mind uh, rather than just raw split up this budget this way. Could I stand behind this if everyone knew? And that's something you do not see. There'd be a lot less corporate CEO pay if yeah. Oh, yeah. executive suites pay if you're like, wait, you do what? But you get paid. What? 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 Uh, yeah. what? yeah. But uh, exactly, anyways, man. That's yeah. why, you know, we got to eat the rich. Yeah, we're going to eat them. So if there's one takeaway, <laughs> get your pitchforks, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's time. It's no, time. <laughs> for for real. And like part, part of why we, we, we stress entrepreneurship on this podcast is because you can be the master of your own destiny. And if you understand and own means of production, you know, and, and you understand your value, you can go out and get it yourself, right? Without having to like have somebody else determine what you're worth. You mm -hmm. can go and see what the market is willing to pay for what you're worth, which is uh, very exciting. And as Daniel said, go on out there and practice because every time you go and practice, Think of it like you're putting money in your bank. It means you're going to be able to charge more. It's going, to, it's going to mean that your quality of your music is better. The service that you provide is going to be better. You're going to be more efficient. Then you can actually earn more money. So don't stop practicing, y'all. No faking notes. Yeah, yeah, no, yes. no faking notes. <laughs> okay. Peace, everybody. Peace out.